Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Hi, peeps. Help Me Be Me is underfunded and needs your help. If you enjoy listening to this or it helps you at all, please visit helpmebeme.com and click donate or visit me on Patreon. Thanks. Hi, friends. It's Sarah May. So today I'm doing another audience Q&A episode. Uh, There's some range in topics on this one. So um, here's the first question. How do you figure out what you are passionate about? I just graduated, been working on in my industry for about a year, and I'm totally second-guessing the decision I made career-wise. I do not enjoy my job at all, which in turn leads me to freak out thinking of wasting my time for a degree that I don't care about. Did I do this for myself or my parents? I'm s- realizing what it means to work five days a week, and I'm scared I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing something I don't care about. I cannot figure out what I want to do. I've dealt with depression for the past five years, which I have um, somewhat under control, but I just can't take steps forward in finding something that I truly enjoy. I've also put love on hold until I figure out who I am and what I'm passionate about. And I'm paraphrasing that. P.S. All right, well, here's what I will say about this. Um, First of all, there are a lot of variables. I would say the depression is the biggest. So the feeling of meh, of just not stoked or middle, is kind of one of those things that prevents you from feeling passionate. Like, it's really difficult to find what... um, you love when you're just in a state of kind of, hmm, I don't know. I don't really like anything. It's like a permanent state of ambivalence. And I would say of all feelings, that is kind of the most paralyzing and in terms of, you know, inspired actions. It just kind of keeps you like existing. So nothing will seem like great and nothing will seem wonderful and a lot of that is just the symptom of depression. It's it's the way that you feel when, you know, I mean, it's better than feeling like I can't get out of bed. But ironically, this is the type of situation that, you know, something dramatic and terrible <laughs> can jolt you out of sometimes or something dramatic and wonderful, like a big life event. Um, so my policy when I'm in a state like that is to just try anything new and positive all at once, like just to kind the goal being to artificially create that jolt of like, holy shit, I've, I can see everything now, all the meaning and all of the routine blahness is up in the air. And it's like, you, it gives you an opportunity to reevaluate things and get more information than you have when you're in that sort of middle routine state. So I would go all in on feeling and knowing something new. It's like the 
I guess the goal is to make contrast via making lots of change. So artificially kind of constructing a jolt. So second to that, I think mindfulness is a really important practice to take on. Because when you're depressed, a huge sustainer of that mindset is just negative rumination, like negative thought loops and kind of we self-fulfill. So the practice of mindfulness or meditation, some kind of like using your physical body to um, step away from the thoughts themselves, that will help you train yourself away from believing and um, continuing the uh, effects of your thought loops. And it just lessens their power a little bit. It also just helps you stop overthinking or, or you can notice when you're overthinking and do what you need to to get out of that habit. I would say when we get ambivalent, we start hyper-focusing on trying to solve the thing. Like we get fixated on the feeling of I'm not happy, what's wrong? And then we get closer and closer to the problem. We just stare at it harder and harder. However, this process of mentally solving is what gets you farther and farther away from the actual solution to the problem, which will come from creating distance and space and um, bigger, like reaching out to what's bigger than this thinking. You know, it's like, it's like having a muscle spasm. And the solution to the unhappiness, to the hyperfocus, will really come from another part of your person. So it's not going to come from the hyperfocusing thinking brain, from the you know obsessive thoughts. It's going to come from some other part of you that's like allowed to reflect and dream and play and have distance from this. So you need to step away from the problem and allow yourself room to discover it and, and invite it to arrive on its own. It's really like an opposite process. Right now you're like crouched over the game of dolls trying to, you know, solve their problems instead of standing up and looking around and just letting go, embracing discovery. And I would say this hyper-focusing on the problem is a, a common habit. And it's really actually creating the majority of your unhappiness and the anxiety you have. So it's like you're just staring at your dolls in your hands saying like, nothing's good, nothing's changing. Why is nothing changing? It's because you're fo focused on thinking versus the right kind of actions. And it's usually a soothing mechanism when we get stuck in these thought loops. It's usually, usually a way for us to feel like we're controlling something when we're actually not. We're creating our state of paralysis. It's a ruse, as I always say. So I, I would say pervasively, I want you to detach altogether from judging things in your life as bad or less than. Stop fretting about what's wrong because these things don't have to hurt so much. Maybe there is no problem at all. Maybe you're just in a certain part of your path that's trying to teach you something. And really the goal is to release, relax, unclench. The struggle you have created, the game of dolls you've, you're playing, is hurting you and causing you a lot of excess anguish. It's self-inflicted. So just look at this as it just is. It's not bad. You have a job. You're existing. Don't jump to the future. 
This is just today, right now. You have no idea what will happen tomorrow. You have no idea what will happen a year from now. Don't judge it. Know that everything you've done up until this point in your life has led you to this day right now. And that is where you are for very many important, good, valid reasons. So remove the analysis of everything's wrong, something's wrong, why am I not happy enough? That's the part that hurts, just that, the clenching. So when you remove that part, just that habit from your day-to-day, you create some space for maybe trying new actions. So I would say your assignment is to start to create some newness, uh, open a window, so to speak. If you want to grow, you've got to allow things outside of you to change you, to alter you and advance you. So what currently makes up your life and you can become much bigger, but you've got to allow things to affect you and redefine some of your definitions. So how to do that? As I said before, it's got to come from like expanding, forcing the jolt. So a shorthand version of that would be things that are intimidating to you, things that scare you. Um, For a lot of people, it's pilgrimages, like taking a big um, trip across the world. I'm not saying you have to do this or this is the right idea for you, but just this is just for your insight. So when you remove yourself from the routine framework, the POV you have built of the world, and you take out you know, including like your social media, your email, all of that routine stuff, if you take that out of your frame of reference for a while, you start to remember, I am a creature on a planet, I'm a tiny speck, and my everyday life is so, it's so small compared to just the world and existence and the scale of, you know, the range of emotions and experiences you can have in a lifetime. We just get really, our world gets really, really small. And we think our problems are, you know, the size of a building when in reality they're the size of a pebble. So I think a lot can be gained from wandering the earth as just a creature, a speck on the planet, not being so plugged into the matrix, so to speak. Just so you can remember the scale of life and the world because, you know, we all play our own game of dolls all day long. Like saying, this dress doesn't fit her and pouting. So when you can step back and push yourself into any kind of new and uncomfortable environment, you start to lose those um, the little dollhouse walls. So I would say if you're not going to take a pilgrimage, totally fine. But I would change your scenery and change the scale of normalcy in your frame, the frame you use to view the world. And in general, for anyone who's in a rut, it's helpful just to start making change, taking lots of action all at once in different directions and trying on different personalities. So all things zag that are decidedly not you. And I would say in your case, even the dating part, you know, meeting new people, talking to strangers is one of the best ways to learn more about yourself. So I would treat all of it with openness, like an experiment. And it's okay to, to meet people while you are, quote, on the path. And you can say that on your dates. 
In fact, you might end up meeting somebody who is also on their path to figuring out what they want to do and who they are. But I understand your motivation. It's a compassionate thing to do is to not date until you know who you are. But as far as experiences go, I wouldn't take anything off the table. I would go more all in. I will also throw out there, if you were the type of person who had no challenges as a child, like if your parents were like really overly anxious and made sure you, you know, went to the doctor if you scratched your knee, I hear from uh, there is a generation um, of, of kids who are kind of raised with too much padding on the furniture or just they were raised too perfectly. And a, a lot of people in kind of adulthood tend to feel ambivalent or just like dissatisfied permanently because they you really need the struggle. You need to have something to push against so you can define yourself and kind of prove yourself to yourself. So that is why I think placing yourself in a situation or frame of mind where you can feel something, where you can struggle, where you can try hard and prove yourself to yourself or, or really understand the scale of life and value it, that is what creates a lot of the, um, the deeper notes in your, in your joy. So I think a lot of people who do have childhoods like that, they end up to, they have to create it in themselves. You have to create the contrast in themselves. So a lot of people will end up going, um, you know, like to whatever, build houses somewhere in like a third world country where they are really able to feel valued or they'll go on a, you know, backpacking across the entire world for years and years kind of trip and experience struggles just for the sake of feeling something, of having a greater sense of value and purpose in the world. Just food for thought. Um, and I think, you know, I feel for you because I know feeling kind of eh about life when you should be happy is like one of the most frustrating things to feel. And one caveat, sometimes I will, you know, sometimes people just go through periods of sameness and boredom and nothing is actually wrong at all. It's just then we start to kind of think, but it should be better. It should be better. But sometimes life is just, you know, the same for a little while. So if things are not shooting stars and fireworks, it doesn't necessarily mean anything's broken. It's just I think one major change you can make is your reaction because that is what is creating the majority of the unhappiness is the judgment of your circumstances and feeling trapped by them and also anticipating the future and judging the future. So if you're spending lots of time focused on the problem that is a, as I said, soothing mechanism, believe, makes you believe you have control, but it's really just a distraction from action. It's useless. It doesn't help you go anywhere, but in the same exact, stay in the same exact spot. So if it's, it could be the conditions themselves. If the conditions themselves are in, intense and overwhelming and like causing you tons of suffering, um, that is a whole different story. And that really comes down to soothing yourself um, as best you can and finding ways to, like, manage the pain. However, if it's the latter, um, it's 
it seems to me that it would be, but if it's not, then I'm sorry if I answered the wrong question. But I, if it's the latter, I would say it's simply by how you orient your perspective, you can give yourself a lot of relief. And I would say if you are in the place of suffering, like your, your actual day-to-day is really unbearable and tedious and terrible, like you work with terrible people, you're being verbally abused and is degrading to your being, then I would say just by taking an active role in making change, just doing one active thing to help yourself in a day makes a huge difference in the level of um, trauma that those that that experience causes you. So just being, just keep that in mind. I can relieve a lot of the pain I'm going through, the permanent damage from the pain I'm going through, simply by taking steps to empower myself, even if they're small. So I would say, take one self-bettering, self-redefining, self-broadening step per day. And that will actually, just the way your body and your brain process this, this experience will be a lot healthier for you. So I hope that helped. Um, and let me know if, if I didn't answer your question. All right, so here's the next question I have. What to do when your dignity is shattered? So if you, when you've been in a tough place for way too long and when you're in the dark pit of self-blame and shame. So this is a snippet from this letter. I need to come to terms with all the triggers I have. I feel like traumas, I have traumas that I play over and over. I'm reliving them all over and over and I'm stuck. I'm frozen scared. It's so hard to see my way out of this and see any hope. I've isolated myself. I don't see my friends or have support system because I'm ashamed. Without good people around me, I self-sabotage or sabotage. With such a negative view of myself, I have zero confidence. I've been in therapy for years. I've tried meds. I lost my home. I lost my job. I get spurts of cool ideas, but I don't do any of it. I want to help people and help causes. I want to stop these behavior loops for my kids. I don't know how to be with them or around them. I don't know how to get out of this. I'm so scared. Very, very painful stuff. So firstly, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's like, honestly, I feel like the, I mean, living at the bottom is like definitely one of the hardest things to to go through. And the longer you're there, the more kind of like hopeless and painful just existence becomes. And yeah, it's like you, it's like you almost, this is how I remember it feeling like, oh, this is how the world is. I didn't know it before. I thought I had, I thought I was in the world, but now I realize like, this is what the world is like. The world is a terrible place. It really does define reality when you're in that state. Um, so what I want to say is that the, the view of the world you have, although it is a dark, terrible, hopeless, scary place, can absolutely be redefined. And you will see that that is not, this, things are not as dire as they have, they have felt like they are for a really long time. It doesn't seem like everything will, will change or can change when you're in that loop, when you're stuck there for so long. But it absolutely can, and it actually can change really quickly. It's just about making the right 
kind of change that allows you to like, you know, if you're at the, the bottom of a well, it's like you just need one brick just to like that's not going to go anywhere just so you can step up a little bit higher. It's about getting the right one, though, so that you don't keep just falling back down again. It's like someone's throwing down like paper boxes and you keep stepping on it and it goes back down. It's like you have to just build the right first brick. And I will say there's a lot of information in that, in the question or the email that I can't really completely break apart without more context. So I'm just going to try and address this in broad strokes. But I would say consult your therapist. If you still have a therapist and they're a good therapist, I would consult them first and foremost about dealing with the PTSD symptoms head on. Be really focused on this element. That is like what I would call the big brick. It's, I don't think it's like a you or your life problem. I think it's just when you're in a constant state of being triggered, that is the core of the problem. It's like being disabled. So the trauma part of this is like I would say the huge slice of the pie. It just makes you it makes regular actions really, really difficult. It makes because you're like hyper aroused. You're basically it's like being electrocuted all the time. So the smartest parts of your brain don't function correctly. And it makes just regular stuff really impossible. Like, you know, sitting quietly. That's really hard. Or being able to focus on a task really hard. Being able to not like run away or abandon things like, you know, a job. It's like everything is really hard. Just normal, basic going through a day without fucking up or freaking out or crying. <laughs> that stuff just becomes really impossible. So I would say the goal for you, first and foremost, is just to get your brain back online or get yourself some tools that help you deal with just that symptom. For example, and it doesn't have to be meds. It doesn't have to be talk therapy. There are lots of new things. I would try all of them as best you can. Just, I know some of them can be expensive, <clears throat> but I would work toward trying um, a couple of them, neurofeedback um, or somatic experiencing or EMDR. Um, or EMT, I would try a bunch of whatever you can try to help yourself if the meds have not been working for you. And maybe if therapy is not working for you, maybe try a new therapist. Um, I don't know what part of the country you're in, but if you're anywhere near California, they have some great uh, different treatment type of seminar types of things at the Esalen Institute. They do a lot of these types of things. Basically, treat the trauma element. And go all in on that. That to me is like the most important part of what you said. Because having been a person that was like had PTSD, it made so it catalyzes so many other problems. Um, and it weaken when you start to treat it, it, you can weaken it. Like when you manage the symptoms of it, you can weaken it to be something you just get really familiar with, and it doesn't cause you to like run around in the dark screaming, you know? So it is absolutely possible. I know if you have chronic trauma, it is a lot harder or t it takes different approaches for different people to treat it. And I will say, um, past 
the treating of that trauma part of it. I, I want to give you maybe some small tips for the day-to-day that could help. Uh, and I know that shame is really uh, a powerful preventer of functional, helpful actions. Because it kind of shows you a wall with a random set of buttons on it, and none of them are labeled or work. <laughs> like everything just feels impossible. And you start believing change is impossible. And you also believe you deserve it. So chronic low-point stuckness and shame are really powerful just because they recreate your identity. It kind of also induces acceptance. Like you learn helplessness. So it redefines who you are and you start repeating um, habits that just keep you stuck because you're flailing. Like you, nothing you try seems to help. And so you're just, it just becomes like managing. That's your life becomes, the majority of your life just becomes about managing pain. And because of that, you can't, you have very little energy or resource to make m- any kind of progress past that. So it's like, you know, it's like being a two-year-old who's trying to like do their taxes. It's, it's really com- It's really hard to do other things well. My therapist used to call it being on the hook when you just se- can't seem to, to make any good progress because you're like on this giant butcher hook. You can't reach anything and you're flailing and that's because you're suffering. So it's just like, you know, you pick up something and you drop it or you try and grab something, you can't reach it. And that's just because you're trying to get away from the hurt at all times. And so just know that you're, when you're in that state, it's, it's impossible for anyone to do things, like basic things. Like, so don't put that on yourself, all the shit that's going wrong. I would not put that on you being uh, an incapable person. I would say most everybody who would be in your situation would do exactly the same thing. So I would say that's the good news, the path. <laughs> the problem is not as... Um, because of you as you think it is. And the path out of this isn't as impossible as it appears to be from where you are right now. So I don't want you to look at the top of the mountain. I want you to look at something small and within your reach. At any given time during your day, your only goal is to focus on one very concrete, positive action. Not thinking about all of the other millions of problems. Just focus on one small thing within your control at any time during your day. So this is what I would say in the meantime is something I would do to help yourself. When you start to lose it and you freak out and you're going through the shame game of I'm a loser and everything I've done is terrible and I fucked up my kids and blah, blah, blah. I want you to remember to just focus on, look down at your hands and use them. Focus on making one thing better. That make, just make that your rule of thumb. At any given time during my day, if I start to freak out, the Advil I get to take is making one thing better. So that could be something very, very small. Like, I haven't eaten today. I need to feed myself. Or, the room I'm in is messy. I'm going to clean it. So just being active relieves a sense of the, the intense part of the suffering, which is powerlessness. The powerlessness is what traumatizes us and keeps us in that 
flailing, stuck state. So I want you to be active no matter what it is. Second to that, I want you to take steps toward a single cornerstone in your, in your life um, as far as, like, the big stuff goes. Like, take all of, you know, for now, take the um, solving all the problems of, of the my kids, like, let that be on the back burner in your mind and just stay focused on I need to get treatment for my trauma. I need to get treatment for my PTSD. That is one cornerstone thing that will change, make your life a lot easier. So just focus on one problem at a time and put everything toward that. That is like your goal. Whatever, you know, tasks you're going to take that are action-related, focus on that. And that is already kind of a big task, you know? So, like, I know it's really important to have a job as well, um, and I know it's really important to take care of kids and all that stuff as well. It sounded to me like your kids were older. I, maybe I was wrong about that. But you really do need to get off the, the hook. You need the fucking brick. So just start with the one thing that will cre create a lot more space and openness and ease for you in your day-to-day -day life. Just by creating a mental place of safety and stability. So outside of that, outside of the positive action and focusing on the cornerstone change, another habit or tip I want for you to use is just pause. Any given time, whenever you're freaking out or when you're feeling like sorrow, remember to take a deep breath and just pause. Take a moment of space. Step back from within your mind and just watch the thoughts and notice that you are having them and realize that they are separate from you. If you can, I highly recommend you purchase the book, Courage to Change or The Language of Letting Go, or uh, The New Earth. But the first two, for sure. And read one random page from that book. That helps as uh, an addition to the pause. And the main reason I want you to do this is because by reacting to negative thoughts, by taking a, a deep breath and reading something positive, I think you could possibly start to weaken their paralyzing effect on you. And um, I know you're facing a lot of really painful roadblocks. And I will say, like, the, you know, you're not an incapable person. There are just, there's a lot stacked against you that's making it really difficult. So I believe your only assignment right now is just to get off the giant hook and, and give yourself just that, that perspective. I'll... Everything comes down to just giving yourself one advantage, one thing that allows you to hold on to the ground. So just put the overwhelm aside, and let's just start with, like, building some, some positive groundedness. I hope that helps. So here's my last question. Looking for friendships. So how to navigate finding new friends as an adult when you're stuck and depressed, and you don't have a lot of positive energy to give, and finding your tribe. I've been looking for those treasured group of friends most of my life, and I've been disappointed every time somebody 
something fails miserably or something or simply doesn't work out. I'm willing to work through things and usually the other party is not, quote, about the drama. I don't have a solid group of friends or family. I have friendships that fall apart, people bail, adult mean girl syndrome, people not wanting to work through problems in friendship. Um, first of all, if you haven't already heard it, I recommend listening to episode 27, which is about how to build successful friendships. Secondly, um, I, this is a bummer for me to say, but it is really difficult to build friendships when you are depressed and you don't have positive energy to give. And that's just because friendships are like romantic relationships. They are built right based on shared mutual value. And when you're depressed, you're occupied. And so often you'll find equally depressed people or um, people don't, it's, it's like you're, it's like being a beggar, you know? You're coming with needs that it's not the right way to approach um, something that's based on gift giving. So I know that's a huge bummer when you want support and you don't have support, but I would say the goal is really to get to the place where you are able to to be yourself and be able to bring your value to others because friendships have to be built strongly first, like, like a bank account. You can't drain it or lean on it until you've built up the investments. And I know that's like, thanks, so I'm fucked. Like that's like a not helpful thing to say. Um, and I know it's, it's really difficult when you're working on yourself to not have any support. That's why I believe support groups are amazing, fantastic resources because you find comfort and unconditional love and it's very real and it's powerful, um, from absolute strangers and you can get it in the room while you're there and it's, it's, it's so healing and it's so wonderful and it's, um, it's a different kind of support. It's almost like more pure because those people know exactly how you feel and you're bonded through um, the shared goal and also the shared uh, understanding. So when you come together based on shared pain, it's really healing for everybody. And I'm not sure what, um, what support group would be particular, would be right for you, but I would say even if... <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Al-Anon. I would just go to Al-Anon because I think it's wonderful. But I know that's, like, odd if you're not, if you don't have the types of symptoms. Um, but I would ask, I don't know if you have a therapist, but I would ask a therapist maybe or maybe Google, do some Googling about what support group might be right for you. And as far as how to build relationships when you are not depressed or you, and you do have positive energy to give, based on what you have described... Here are my thoughts. Um, you could be building friendships with the wrong kind of people. So if this is like something that's happened to you with old friendships and um, you're, you're finding that they don't invest, it, I would say it could be because of um, the types of people you've chosen are not like chosen for the right values or it could be that there was just too much pressure put on the friendship and then it broke. Like, you really have to respect that bond and make sure it's always mutually beneficial. But, and you can't, you know, deplete it too much. Like, you have to be respectful of other people's, 
you know, desire, I guess, to be in a friendship. Um, and if you choose good people and you build a relationship right based on mutual gift giving, um, during the random times when you do need support or you do need to um, ask for things, the right people will show up for you. So if there's an imbalance um, in the friendship, like what you're describing to me, it could be because there was too much pressure placed on the relationship early on when you don't have kind of that longevity and that trust um, built up, you know, like you don't have the credit score yet. <laughs> or I could imagine it being because the, the people you've chosen are not quality. And I would say if you want to, th to reflect on this, it might be helpful for you to go through a kind of a, a re reflection process and really, you know, investigate this in your journal. So if you have chosen people who are not trustworthy and who, who don't show up for you, there's usually something self-fulfilling in that equation. Like if you consistently choose people who are not going to show up for you and not going to give their gifts back to you, then you are something in you is not identifying that you're choosing people who are not um, kind and loving and reliable. And you're not, and or you're not approaching friendships as something that should be um, equal. And I used to do that. I used to have a lot of people in my life that I was like, I will give to you unconditionally. And I never asked anything in return. And therefore, I never got anything in return. And that's just like you have to kind of notice that you're doing it at all and then make a manual tweak. It's just like having like, um, you know, one of your filters is broken kind of. So here's a little journal reflection for you. Are you building friendships based on mutual benefit and joy? Like, what is the reason you have chosen your last couple of friends? What traits in them? Did they demonstrate they were, um, they gave equally to you? Were they trustworthy? Did they have values in uh, their personality that demonstrated they were reliable, loyal, giving? Are you bringing benefits or do you bring benefits to your friendships more than negatives? Do you bring um, gifts and lightness to your relationships by a majority? Or are you putting too much pressure on it? Second reflection I have for you, I want you to write down your values list. So things you hold to be important in yourself and also in others. So things like honesty, loyalty, kindness, respect, trust, selflessness, sense of humor, etc. Just know what they are. Know what's really important to you. And are the people you choose demonstrating that they have the values that you hold important? So are the people you've chosen kind? Do they demonstrate that they are reliable and trustworthy? Did you share mutual benefits? For example, passions, sensibilities, hobbies, etc. So hopefully that will gift you with some insight. Um, and I will say friendship, building a good friendship takes time. It takes 
years. And uh, you have to foster it like, you know, a flame. You can't ask too much of it early on. And you build it by giving to it, not asking of it. And when both halves remain pretty even, it should thrive. And it becomes, over time, uh, kind of like a, an innate understanding. Like you witness the strength of it in the moments of strife, in the rare moments of strife. But you can't, if you take, if you uneven it too much, it breaks. So first and foremost, you build a friendship like you would a good romance. You share the benefits. You expect nothing in return. It's like you're giving gifts. That's all you're doing. And throughout the relationship, you get to decide whether or not it's worth it to you. You're constantly negotiating that every day. It's not like there's a contract. It just has to, that's why it's a friendship and it's supposed to be fun. It's because you, you bring to it a sharing of joy. And um, that's why I would also say choose your friends based on kindness. I think a lot of the time we choose friendships based on our voids or shared misery or some artificial, superficial trait that we find, you know, enchanting. But if you choose based on the kindness of another person, then I think you'll be in a good spot. Because a lot of the time, if we choose wisely, um, we will be surprised by people. And that's the, the good feeling. A lot of the time, I think we end up in friendships that we don't consciously choose. Like, it's almost like they choose us and we just we go along with it because we're like, oh, they like, uh, they like me? Okay, then I want to be your friend. So be deliberate. Like, I would, be, I would say be conscious about the people you're choosing and why you are choosing them. And you have to also be deliberate about the friends you do not keep. So for... The friends I do keep, um, sometimes they are not, you know, equal givers, but that's, I know that about them. So I, I accept them for what they do give me, and I keep them in my life, but I know where they stand, and I know what I cannot rely on about them, and therefore I don't set myself up to have my expectations dashed, because I know who they are, I know what their limits are, and I accept them as such. And it's, it's worth it for me because I do find them so wonderful and enchanting as people. So it's not to say you have to have friends that are like, you know, perfect in every scenario. You just have to make sure you are aware of why you've chosen them, what they are capable of, and know how to maintain that, that relationship. I do think you can find a good friend anywhere at any age of your life. I make friends um, mostly through other people's friend groups like friends of mine's friend groups, but as a way to find more people who are like-minded individuals, I would say attend functions um, that feel aspirational to you. So things that align with your highest and happiest self. So just like romance, befriend others based on shared strengths, not shared weaknesses. Like if you start with the strengths and sharing of your best, then you can build on that part of yourself. It's like you, you get to show up as your best self, your ideal self, whenever you're around that person over time. And it just builds more of it in you. So I would say 
the idea of drama that you brought up was a question mark for me because I'm curious what kind of drama is coming up. Why is it coming up? If the drama is coming up because um, you are one of those people that likes to discuss problems in a relationship and like feels like you need to talk things out, that is often um, an incredible drain on a relationship, especially if it's taking up a majority of time. So I would say just like a marriage, you know, think about what your ultimate goal is. Like take the bird's eye view. What do you ultimately want out of this relationship and how can you keep it healthiest? If it's if the majority of your time spent together is in the discussing of problems, then it's not going to feel like a joyful relationship. So I would say choose your battles based on what your ultimate um like long-term goal is. If it's not worth it, maybe then you get to decide, I'm not going to bring this up because I don't think that the taking away of time spent having fun is worth it. Um, So here's another reflection exercise for you. Do I have friendships with people who disappoint me? Am I the one who constantly shows up for others who do not deserve that attention? Are there moments that I accepted less than behavior from others, and why? How can I alter that and not accept people who give me less than behavior moving forward? How can I detach with love and protect myself in the next situation? So I will say when you start choosing the right people or demanding um, the right equal treatment for yourself, like you just start acting like a person who deserves love and respect, people change accordingly. And like, I just mean people react to you differently. People see you differently. Um, And it's like, it, it can be just a switch that you flip in yourself and people will feel different energy from you. You can change everything in your life just by changing yourself. And if you do start to kind of not give people your attention and your unconditional support because they're not treating you like a valued person, then, you know, it purifies things. Like you might lose those relationships, but then you will start to attract the right types of friendships. So I kind of jumped around there at the end, but I hope that all made sense. (laughs) I hope there's something in there that feels like it was relevant to you. Um, And I... Hope you find some some good friends. I think they exist out there for all of us. Even if, you know, if even if it's this st- late stage in life, <clears throat> I think when you make the right tweaks, it's like you have it's almost like you had a blinder on and then you're like, "Oh, this is the change the one tiny change I need to make and now I'm meeting the right people because it's like honestly it's like you can't see them before." That's how it was for me. Like I couldn't understand what I was doing wrong until I was like, I am only going to choose people based on the fact that they're nice. That changes everything. So I know that um, that was a lot, a lot of different topics. But to everybody um, out there, I hope you get something out of this. And I wish you much love and luck. And I will say, um, I want everyone to know my, I'm supposed to be 
on maternity leave um, from October 1st till probably, let's say, end of December. But we'll see. <laughs> I'm just I'm letting you know I'm not going away. I just might be up all night with the baby. <laughs> so I might be sleep deprived. But I'm not I'm not dropping the podcast in any shape or form. I just want you to know, don't give up. Um, keep your eyes peeled. I will be posting again as soon as I am physically able. Um, and this is in 2017. If you're listening to this and you're like, when the fuck was that? So in closing, I want to thank all my monthly sponsors. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for supporting me and supporting this work. Make me feel very valued and makes me um, really, really want to do more of these. So thank you so much. And if you haven't already, please leave me a review on iTunes or share this with a friend. And uh, don't forget to smile. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.